We're going to start a new series uh, this weekend, and I've been looking forward to this one. I think I've been planning this series for 20 years, uh, <laughs> and I'm not joking you. Uh, I'm not, it's not kidding. Uh, back, in the, back in the day when I first started getting into leadership and ministry, uh, you didn't have YouTube. You didn't have uh, podcasts, and uh, so if you were looking for good teaching on, on leadership and, and ministry, uh, it was hard to find. And um, I found a guy by the name of John Maxwell. Anyone know who John Maxwell is? Got any old people in here? Yes. And John Maxwell, back in the day, had a cassette of the month. Does anyone remember what a cassette is? All right. And so he had a cassette of, a month, of the month. And I think for seven bucks a month, if you sent seven bucks a month, then he would send you a cassette that had leadership teachings on it. And so I did that. And I was, you know, I was making my $7 a month investment in, into myself and, and getting, uh, you know, some of these teachings from John. And there's a lot of them that I don't remember. I had a whole binder and you could, you could put them in this album and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot I don't remember, but for 20 years, I have remembered a message that he preached or he taught that was called mistakes I've made lessons I've learned. Mistakes I've made, lessons I've learned. So today, we are going to kick off a new series, uh, and I'll give honor to John by calling this series the same thing that he called his message, Mistakes I've Made, Lessons I've Learned. You see, it's one thing for people to share their successes. They can tell you three things that they did, you know, to achieve a certain level of success, or 10 things that they did, these 10 keys to, you know, building my business or 10 steps for a healthy marriage or, or whatever. They can, they can share their successes and you can learn from their successes. But when someone shares their failures, there's something within us that connects with them on a, on a different level, goes much, much deeper. Uh, it's, it's one thing to hear about someone's wins, but when they're honest enough to share with you about their losses, that's when something within us goes, wow, that's a real guy, or, or she's a real woman. She has struggled with the same things that I've struggled with. They've made mistakes, but God has taken their mistakes and redeemed them and taught them so much through them. I, I feel like I can connect with that person, and, and my hope for this series is that we we normalize mistakes because we're all going to make them. We're all going to make them. Everybody in this room, care how perfect you look, sunshine. <laughs> we all make mistakes. We all fail. We all do stupid things. We all do things we shouldn't do. We all make choices that don't honor God and hurt our relationships. We all make mistakes. My granddaughter, one time she got in trouble for doing something. She said, everybody makes a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, Emma, everybody makes a mistake. And I, I heard uh, a guy say this once. He said, when you fall, stay down there long enough to figure out why you fell. It stinks to make mistakes. Somebody say amen. amen. But I'll tell you what stinketh more. That's King James Version. <laughs> Is to make a mistake and not learn anything from it. That really stinks. And so when we fall, our, our, our first reaction is to jump up quickly and hope no one saw us fall, right? 
But when you fall, stay down there long enough not to wallow in guilt and shame and regret and hate yourself. That does not bring any glory to God. But in that mistake, say, Father, what can I learn from this mistake? In hopes that I'm not going to make it again. In hopes that I'm going to grow and become stronger and become more like Jesus than I ever had before. Here's what I love about our God. He takes even our mistakes and he redeems them and often does some very beautiful things with them. That's an awesome God to serve. I want to encourage someone who feels like a failure today. God's not done with you. And there's actually a beautiful thing that we can experience together as the body of Christ when we are honest, when we are transparent, and when we humble ourselves. God can do so much with it. Scripture says God resists the proud. He keeps them at arm's length, but he gives grace. He hugs them. He hugs the humble. That's what that word means. He gives grace. He draws near those who will humble themselves. So I didn't say God erases all of our mistakes, but he does use them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 is a scripture that tells us that all the things written in the Bible are there for our example. We are to learn from the mistakes that we find in the Bible. It says, now these things happen to them, those in the Bible, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. So if you're ready for this first step on our journey, say, I'm ready. All right, first stop on our journey is going to take us into the life of one of the fathers of our faith who has an anger issue, an anger issue. Exodus chapter 20 Verse 1, Exodus 20 and verse 1. It says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, all of them, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. They come to church, there's no water, people were mad, it'd be like here if we had no coffee on Sunday morning, right? If you go to church, there's no coffee, you're in the wrong church, come on somebody, (laughs) Just kidding. All right. Verse 3. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died with our brethren when when our brethren died before the Lord. (laughs) Just imagine you're the leader of a group of people. and, And they say, you know what? It would be better for us to be dead than to follow you. Sounds like a pleasant group of folks, doesn't it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to be in this church, even if they do have good coffee. These guys have an attitude problem. So they're saying to Moses and Aaron, their leaders, why have you brought us up uh, or brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Let's just a little backstory here. Moses is the leader of the people of Israel on their way out of slavery. Remember, They were living under Egyptian slavery. They were being beaten. They had horrible quotas that they had to make. They had to make bricks out of mud, basically, and nothing else. Some of their people would be killed and tortured. It was an awful existence. And God says, I don't want that for my people. I want to bring them out of slavery, out of bondage, into a place called the promised land. And so Moses is charged to be their leader. Some theologians say that the journey could have taken 11 days. 11 days out of Egypt over to the promised land, but it has taken 40 years. That's a long road trip, everybody. 
Now, you've probably heard the saying, you're as slow as Moses. How many have heard that saying? Or you say that when you're trying to get your family out the door to come to church, especially to the 9 a.m. service. You're as slow as Moses. But listen, it wasn't real. If you read the scriptures, it wasn't really the speed of Moses that was the problem. It was the murmuring and complaining and disobedience and unbelief of the people he was leading. Leaders always get blamed for stuff, but sometimes we also have to look at the people they're leading. And here we have the people of Israel complaining once again to Moses, and they're saying, why have you brought us out of Egypt only to die in the wilderness? Again, remember, they were under the the, the rule of this pagan, cruel taskmaster. Their lives were not good. That was an evil place, but now they're calling this an evil place. They often complain about Moses, and they complain to Moses, and again, again, they're just saying, Moses, we'd rather be dead than to follow you. I don't know any of these people, but I don't like them. They just don't sound like a pleasant group of folks. So here they are in need of water, which is a legitimate need. They lodge their complaints to Moses and Aaron, and then Moses and Aaron turn to the Lord, which is a great idea. Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to uh, the door of the tabernacle of meeting. This is where they were going to meet with God. And they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock. Everybody say, "Speak speak to the rock. Speak to the rock before their eyes. Let all the people see you speak to the rock, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Verse 9. So Moses took the rod from from before the Lord as he commanded, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. So, so far, so good, right? Moses is listening, but then he said to them, Hear me now, you rebels. (laughs) Moses is mad. He's looking at the congregation, the children of Israel, and he said, you bunch of rebellious people, listen to what I'm about to say. And then he said this, must we bring water for you out of this rock? He's taking it upon himself. He's putting all the pressure upon himself. And if this happens, in in essence, he's, he's taking the glory for himself. This is going to be a miracle, right? You just don't get water out of rocks. So this is going to be a miracle. And and Moses is saying, here I am again. I got to take care of you bunch of rebellious people. Stand back and watch me do my thing. Verse 11, then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. Hold, 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 hold on. What did God tell Moses to do to the rock? Speak to it. But what does he do? He strikes it. He hits it twice. God has given Moses clear instruction to speak to the rock. But in his anger and frustration, Moses, in front of the people, so this is public, Moses displays his anger, disobeys God, and twice strikes the rock. His anger and his frustration have caused him to disobey and dishonor God in front of all the people. Verse 12, God responds to what Moses does. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, Because you did not believe me to hallow or to honor me 
in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring them or bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Someone say, ouch. Y'all, this is Moses' purpose in life. This is his purpose, to lead these people into the promised land. But God says, no, Moses, you're not going in. I know you spent 40 years on this journey, but your anger has become a stumbling block for your destiny. Yikes, that, it, it almost seems like it's a little bit harsh. Like, come on, God, couldn't we, you know, he's been, he's been, a, been a pretty good guy. Couldn't we make an exception? We, couldn't we give Moses a little grace rather than just looking at him and say, nope, you're not going in. You're, you're not going into the promised land. Here's the thing. God had given him grace over and over and over again. If we retrace the steps of Moses' life, we will see that he was a guy that at one point saw one of his people getting abused by an Egyptian, and he took matters into his own hands, and he actually killed the Egyptian and then fled into the wilderness. Moses is a man who had such an incredible relationship with God that God called him up to Mount Sinai and God wrote the Ten Commandments. Everyone know the Ten Commandments? The ones we break all the time? You're familiar. <laughs> Good morning, somebody. And, and God, it says the finger of God took these two stone tablets and actually wrote the Ten Commandments on these stone tablets and Moses is there. I mean, he gets to experience things that no one else gets to experience. And God gives him the stone tablets. And Moses comes down the mountain and he sees that the people have uh, created this golden calf. And he gets so angry that he breaks the Ten Commandments. Not that he violated them. He literally broke the tablets they were written on. Can you imagine having to walk back up to the, up to the mountain and be like, uh, excuse me, Lord. You know these things you wrote, and we have no history of you ever doing this before, like that, that you wrote, the things you wrote. Yeah, I was walking down the mountain, and I saw them worshiping the golden calf. I got mad, and I broke them. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Moses, he's a great leader. I don't, this series, remember, the Bible says what, what was written, what God allows us to see in his word, was written for our example, right? So we're not going to walk out of here and say, man, that, that Moses was a real loser, but what we can see is that Moses had an unchecked anger issue that ended up impacting his very destiny. I'm not saying he didn't have a right to be angry. These people were tough to lead, and I'm sure I would not have done a better job. But there is a pattern in his life where his anger controlled his choices and said, uh, instead of being led by God, he was led by his anger. And I just wonder how many of us would honestly examine our lives this morning and say, I've done some really dumb things out of anger. I've said some really harsh words when I was mad. I've made some choices in anger that have ruined relationships. Anger has cost some of us a marriage. Anger has cost some of us a job or maybe two. Anger has pushed some of us into an addiction. Anger, we all deal with anger, but some of us just deal with it 
in a greater degree. Like I know a few people that are really what my kids would call low-key. They're mild-mannered folks. It takes a lot to get them upset. I admire those people. How many admire those people who just, they don't get bent out of shape too easy. I admire them. How many would say, I'm not those people? Come on, raise your hands here in the house of God. I just, I'm not those people. I'm not Loki. It doesn't, doesn't take a whole lot to, to get me upset. My, my dad, 96 years old, probably one of the reasons that he's lived to be 96 is because he's hard to upset. He's hard to upset. I think I've only seen my dad mad one time in my life. Like he just, you know, he's just, he's kind of that rock. He's just steady. Uh, I didn't get that. <laughs> I didn't get that. I didn't get that gene. I'm, uh, you know, my dad's name's David. My name's David. But I, I picked up some things from King David. <laughs> like, give me a sword. <laughs> give me a slingshot. <laughs> Lord, you know my enemies break their teeth. I mean, I, I pray those, I pray those mafia prayers sometimes, right? Come on. How <laughs> Just being honest, just keeping it real here in the house of God. So a lot of us are not those people. So in order to find victory over anger, we first need to understand some things about it. Number one, anger in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Anger can be used for good. The Bible calls good anger righteous indignation. Meaning that when we get upset over something, our anger could actually... Uh, drive us to take action against something like injustice. We have a man in our church who started an organization called Prevention Now. And Prevention Now helps to combat and prevent human trafficking. He spent much of his life working in law enforcement and he, he saw this awful problem of human trafficking and I'm sure he saw some things that really, really made him angry. So then in his passion, he has taken his passion and turned it into purpose and now he started a ministry called Prevention Now. Anger can be used for good and godly purposes. Does that make sense to everybody? If you, you saw something, you're moved by that anger because there's an injustice and you want to step up and defend somebody or help somebody, that can be used as a good force. However, most of us don't use anger that way. We, we don't. Much of Moses' anger was drawn out by the actions of others. And some of us have people in our lives that actually enjoy pushing our buttons. For the next three minutes, I want you to look straight at me and... <laughs> If you're here with somebody, just look straight at me and don't look at anyone else. And they might not know we're talking about them. Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15 and verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anger. Some of us are in relationship with someone who actually enjoys stirring up anger. In fact, as I say that, there's a picture of them popping up in your head right now. They enjoy it. They like to stir the pot. They like to throw another log on the fire. They never like things to be Resolve. They always have to have the last word. They actually enjoy fighting. <laughs> Focus right here. 
Now, on the flip side, some of us are that person. Some of us actually enjoy stirring up anger. We know exactly what to do to get under our spouse's skin, and we do it. Some of us men, we know exactly what to do to upset our wives. Brothers, I have a word from heaven for you. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Here's the word from God. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Ladies, you're not exempt. Some of the ladies know exactly how to irritate the man in your life, and you do it like it is an Olympic sport. <laughs> this word from heaven applies to you too, ladies. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Stop it. That's what God would say to you. Stop it. When it comes to anger, there is a responsibility on both sides of the issue. We all have a responsibility not to stir up anger just for the sake of, sake of stirring it up. But we also have a personal responsibility not to allow our anger to control us. Let's do a little exercise this morning. Get out your cell phones. I know you have it. You're probably playing Wordle right now. So go ahead and get out your cell phones. David, remember that picture I sent you? Just be ready with that when I ask for it, please. All right, get out your cell phones and open your camera, okay? And then w when you have it open, say, uh, it's open. It's open. All right, first thing, part of our exercise, let's, let's do this. I want you to think about the person in your life who can make you the most angry. Okay, I want you to visualize that person. I want you to have a picture of them. For some of us, it's our spouse. Here's the deal with your spouse. You love your spouse more than anyone, but they can make you more angry than anyone. Look here, straight here. Okay, maybe it's someone, a romantic relationship. How about your kids? Help me, Jesus. I have, I have never loved human beings beings to the extent that I can love these precious children that my wife and I made. Someone else, I met someone new in the church the other day and, and we were talking about family. I said, well, how many kids do you have? I said, we have six kids. He said, are they all homemade? <laughs> I said, well, uh, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, anyway, that was strange. But anyway, I love these children, but oh, 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 some of the things that they do. All right, do you have, do you have a picture in your mind right now of the person in your life who can make you the most angry? You got that, got that picture in your mind? All right, that's, that's part one of the exercise. Part two of the exercise is take your camera, your phone, Flip it to a self-portrait. That's the guy right there who can make you the most angry in life. It's one thing to look at others and say, you make me so mad. But it's another thing to be honest before God and say, 
why do they make me so mad? Most of the time, it's an inside job. James 4 in verse 1, it says, or verse 4, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war within your members? Galatians 5, verse 19 and 20 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, and watch this now, verse 20, outbursts of wrath or outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. Listen, no one else controls our flesh. We are the source for most of our anger. But here's what I found. Anger simply doesn't really exist on its own. It's most often a symptom. Anger isn't the root. Anger is a fruit. Anger is kind of like the check engine light on your dash that you ignore. (laughs) So do I. I told you years ago what my dad does to check engine lights. He gets a smiley face sticker, and he puts it over top of the check engine light, so, and so it illuminates. So, like, the guys, that's why he's always happy, right? He's just driving down the road. There's, like, a glowing smiley face right at him. But some of us do that with our emotions, not realizing that anger is not the root. Anger is a fruit. Anger is trying to tell us, hey, something wrong, <laughs> Something is going on inside of you that you need to examine. Anger is normally alerting us that there's something going on inside of us. One of the first times God let me see my anger as a symptom is when our family had joined a new church. We're in a new town. We're in a new church. Didn't know a lot of people there. And there was, I felt inside there was a pressure on me that I, you know, I needed to look good in front of these people. Brother Ron, we'd take, we had a bunch of little kids at the time, and it was an evening service. We'd taken our kids, and one of our boys, he was maybe three years old, he was acting up a little bit. Wasn't horrible. Nothing like your kids on Sunday morning, I'll tell you that. But uh, <laughs> did, I put, did I just say that? <laughs> it wasn't horrible, but it was enough. It was a little distraction in the service, right? And I kept, stop it. Stop it. And he kept doing it. Stop it. So you know what you do. Put your hand on their thigh, and you just, you know, just, hey, honey, I love you so much. Stop it. Right? And he just kept on, kept on, kept on. And my anger, I mean, it is rising up. And so finally, I took him by the hand, and I said, come on, we're going into the foyer. And so we go into the foyer, and I'm just dealing with what I would call disproportionate anger. Disproportionate anger. It wasn't right in proportion to what he was doing and I'll never forget it I know exactly where I was when I heard that inward voice of God say this to me he said you're angry because you want people to think your family is perfect (laughs) good job we practiced that earlier we're like listen when I say this you God said you're angry because you want people to think your family is perfect My three-year-old son was not the source of my anger. My pride was. Somebody say, ouch. Sometimes a couple will call me or text or or, or whatever. They say, hey, pastor, can can we get together? Our family is having a crisis. 
We need to get together and talk. And I'll be like, well, yeah, okay, what happened? And they'd be like, Saturday night we got into it. We yelled and we screamed and we cussed and we threw stuff and the neighbors called the cops on us. And I'll say, well, what? You're laughing. It's weekly, y'all. And I'll say, well, what happened? I mean, what in the world happened to cause all this? And be like, well, it all started because one of the kids broke a plate. Help me. (laughs) You're telling me that one of your children broke a $10 plate and you lost all peace in your home, chaos ensued, and you almost went to jail for a $10 plate? That is disproportionate anger. Y'all, you weren't upset over a plate. There's some stuff going on inside mom and dad that needs to be revealed and needs to be healed. When things happen like that, there are these indicators. It's like God letting you see, hey, something is going on inside of you. Let me ask you, I mean, if you're a wife here today, why do you get so mad at your husband? Is it him? Or is there something inside of you? If you're an employer, why do you get so mad at your employees? Is it them? Or is it your own frustration? Why do you get so angry at your kids that you yell and curse at the very children you created? Is it them? Or is there something going on inside of you? Church family, most of the time our anger is merely the symptom of something in us that needs healed. Anger can be a symptom of pain. And until it's healed, it will manifest itself in anger. That night at the church that God spoke to me about our, or my anger, you know what I had? I had a whole bunch of insecurity that just needed healed. Never felt like I was as good as anyone else. Never felt like I belonged. Didn't feel like we belonged at this new church in this new town with these new people. It was my own insecurity. Had nothing to do with a three-year-old boy. It was me. That issue didn't belong to my son. It belonged to me. Some of the men in this room, you're taking things out on your wife and your kids that have nothing to do with them. It's your issue, bro. But here's the good news. God wants to heal it. Ladies, some of you are making your families miserable. And you might not use physicality to control those around you, but you use your mouth and your tongue as a destructive force. You know the exact decibel level you need to use in order to control others. Oh, I'm preaching so good this morning. (laughs) You and your husband, you know, your kids and your husband, they're not the root of your anger. It's your issue, sis. But here's the good news. God wants to heal you. You see, Moses' anger worked in the moment. He got the water out of the rock. It actually worked. God still met the needs of the people, but he sabotaged his own future. Some of us have figured out how to get results with our anger. We can make people do what we want them to do, but we're destroying our relationships and sabotaging our future. The title of the series is Mistakes I've Made, Lessons I've Learned. If you're here this morning and God is dealing with you about your anger, I'm just going to encourage you. Don't defend it. 
Don't blame others. Say, Lord, I need your help. Show me the root. Forgive me, God. Heal me. I'm going to ask Emily to come. She's going to lead us in one more psalm. But I want to read a psalm to you. The book of Psalms is in the Old Testament. It's 150 psalms. Many of them are prayers or songs. And here's one of my favorite ones. I love this. Psalm 42 and verse 5. Here's what the psalmist is saying to, to the Lord. He says, why cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? He's saying there's something going on inside of me that I don't even understand. So he allows this frustration to drive him to the Lord. And he says, God, I need you to show me what's going on within me. Am I just tired? Am I frustrated? Am I fearful? Am I insecure? I I don't know. Why am I angry all the time? Father, sometimes I don't even understand my own heart. But look, the the psalmist continues in verse 5. It says, hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of my countenance. The the psalmist is saying, yeah, I got some stuff going on on the inside of me, but the Lord is my help. Here's what I hope you get out of this series. And and please don't come to Crossroads Church and, and, and walk out of here feeling like, Man, he was talking to me today, and yeah, I'm messed up, and I got some anger issues, and, 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 and I'm just done. No. Our hope is in God. And he only reveals so that he can heal. Come on, somebody. Has God ever got down deep on the inside of you and did something in your heart or your mind and changed you from the inside out? That's the kind of God we serve. The psalmist said, I'm, I got some issues that I don't even understand. That my hope is in God. Watch this, verse 9. I will say to God, my rock. What was Moses supposed to do? He's supposed to speak to the rock, wasn't he? The psalmist said, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? This water-flowing rock is a type of Jesus Christ. And instead of speaking to the rock, Moses spoke to the people in his frustration, and then he struck the rock in anger. And what what God tells us is we need to go to the rock. There's There's another psalm that says, when I'm overwhelmed, take me to the rock that is higher than I. We need to go to God, our rock, and pour our hearts out to him when that anger raises up on the inside of us. We need to pour our soul out to God. Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And in case we didn't get it the first time, the psalmist says it again. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Church, one of the greatest keys to dealing with an anger issue is a strong prayer life. It's kind of an indicator to me when I lose my cool too quickly that I'm probably not spending enough time with God. We all know when we are, when we're filled with joy. I'm not saying that life is just going good, but I'm saying in, in, in spite of life circumstances, you're filled with joy. You're a spirit man. Your spirit, your spirit is strong. You've got a, a good walk with the Lord, and, and, and bad things can even happen around you, but, but yet you are, you are steady in Him. But the flip side is also true when every little thing just sets us off and, a, and we got a short temper and a short fuse. That's probably a good indicator. You need to get to the cross. You need to get to the rock of your salvation. 
One of the greatest keys to dealing with an anger issue is a strong prayer life. I'm not against Christian counseling. We are pro-counseling here at Crossroads. But I will also say this. Never underestimate what God can do when you spend time with Him. He's our creator. He knows us better than anyone. And often a single revelation by the Holy Spirit can heal us wherever we hurt. If you're someone struggling with anger, I just want to encourage you. Make it a matter of prayer. Be honest with the Lord. Ask Him to, to help you, not just to control it, but to reveal its root. God, what is going on on the inside of me that would cause me to be so angry? And then as God reveals, say, okay, Lord, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give this fear to you. I'm going to give this frustration to you. I'm going to give this disappointment in myself to you. I'm going to give this pain to you. I'm going to give this insecurity. Whatever it is, God will be faithful to heal. Would you stand?